Welcome to Disney Deciphered, a podcast helping you save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. On today's episode, we continue with our ride guide looking at the rides at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Find all episodes of this podcast at DisneyDeciphered.com or anywhere you find podcasts, and we really appreciate it if you could leave us a positive review. If you'd like to support the podcast, check us out on Patreon.com slash DisneyDeciphered, where you can subscribe for bonus content or make a one-time donation, or you can also support the podcast at no cost to you by using me as your travel agent. Get started by emailing josephchung at travelmation.net and I can help you plan your Disney vacation. If you have any questions for the podcast, connect with us anytime, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at www.deciphered on Twitter, or on Facebook and Instagram, Disney Decipher. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Joe from As the Joe Flies. And I'm Leslie from Trips with Tykes. Welcome back to Disney Deciphered. So we are doing the second in our ride guide installment. And today we are going to Hollywood Studios, to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which we're very excited about. All the way back in episode 95, we recorded an episode about Rise of the Resistance. And we talked with Doug McKnight from Rope Drop Radio. They just recently had us on one of their episodes. Definitely check that out if you get a chance. We had a fun talk. But on today's ride guide, we're going to be talking about the two attractions at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, Rise of the Resistance, and Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. Before we get to that, just a quick shout out to some of our new patrons, Lori R. and Greenwich Sam. Thank you so much for supporting us. We really appreciate it and hope you enjoy the bonus content that you can find at patreon.com slash Disney Deciphered. Okay, so it has been a few years since Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opened. Anything you want to say about Galaxy's Edge before we move into the ride guide? So Galaxy's Edge has, you know, really evolved over the last couple of years. Still some work to be done, I would say. I think a lot of people had a major complaint that the land kind of felt dead and didn't feel alive and, of course, was missing some of the characters that didn't make sense in the sort of time and place that Disney had constructed. So, you know, things are are starting to change. Obviously, the opening of the Galactic Star Cruiser added that additional element for folks who have the big bucks to pay for it. But I think we'll continue to see additions and there's still more work to be done. I think a lot of Star Wars fans would agree with that. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that people really want to see is right now Galaxy's Edge is set in a certain place and time for storytelling purposes, but I think people want to see that be opened up a little more so that you can get some of the classic characters in there. Everyone kind of just wants to see their own favorite characters, but Disney is still sticking to the storytelling. And of course, Galactic Star Cruiser has made that a little bit more complicated as well because the attractions at Galaxy's Edge are a part of the story of Galactic Star Cruiser. So we'll see how that goes. I still like it. I still really enjoy walking around there. And my wife, when she went there, she was pretty blown away by just how authentic and themed the whole entire land felt. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the criticism is, you know, as usual from the Disney faithful who are looking for all of the little flaws. And it's still kind of a place that if you walk in for the first time, your jaw is going to drop. It's it's amazing to see that land and what Disney has built and the money invested in it. it it's impressive. Agreed. All right, so let's get to the attractions. The first one is Rise of the Resistance. Now, this opened in winter of 2019. If you recall, because Galaxy's Edge is both at Disneyland and Disney World, there was some weirdness like Disneyland opened first, but then Disney World opened Rise of the Resistance first, blah, blah, blah. We won't go through all that, but bottom line, 
This attraction opened in the winter of 2019 in Disney World. The height requirement is 40 inches, so not too high. Definitely doable for many younger children. The premise and backstory is a reminder. We are going to spoil everything about these attractions. If you don't want to know about them, maybe skip ahead through the timestamps up to where we say, you know, who it's appropriate for and whether it's okay for kids. All right. So the premise and backstory is your resistance recruits and you're being taken off the planet Batu to rendezvous with General Leia Organa. But then, of course, something goes wrong. And that is generally what the idea of the entire ride is. Now, the queue is pretty, I don't know, Leslie, I would say it's pretty plain. You're kind of walking through caves to get to the resistance and you know there's some armory stuff but i I, especially compared to flight of passage that we did in the last ride episode this queue doesn't seem much to write home about for me i mean yeah there's certainly things to look at and things to see and it's a nice little meandering path through different caves and there's one the first cave actually has some seats kind of carved into it so that's kind of a nice addition not something you find in every queue but yeah i would agree i mean when compared to the flight of passage queue it's not up there i mean it's still better than the average queue at Disney World. Definitely. Now, what this attraction does really well is we all know that pre-shows are part of what breaks up the queue, but in this attraction, the pre-shows, although like they are basically having you queue up for the actual ride portion where you're moving, they are a huge part of this attraction. I mean, Leslie, would you say it's three pre-shows, right? Let's let's run through them. So where do we start out? So the first one is when you go into a briefing room, you've got BB-8 and Ray appears with a, a briefing for you about what sort of your mission is and what's coming ahead and that's to me even though it's kind of a pre-show that's where the ride begins because you start feeling the anticipation building and then the hologram of Ray is unbelievable (laughs) that's really I mean something that stands alone by itself it could have been something that was sort of part of a ride as opposed to I guess what we're calling the pre-show so that's that's really cool and so I'm going to reveal my somewhat Star Wars ignorance but Poe and some of the other you know, characters from that era of Star Wars talking to you in this pre-show with Ray. So you kind of get the the setup and then suddenly the doors open and cast members are standing there and encouraging you to run quickly to the transport that you're going to be on. So take it from there, Joe. It really is, to me, part of the attraction because they really ramp up the drama. You're getting briefed and they're like, oh, we're going to, we got to escape Batu," And then you're rushed to this transport and then you board this transport. And so this transport technically is operating as a second pre-show. So this transport, it takes off. But then, of course, as you're taking off, the First Order shows up with their Star Destroyers and then they're surrounding your transport. And then it's like, oh, no, you know, your escorts, they start uh, getting blown up. I guess they're dying. Uh, spoiler alert. And so finally you get caught in this tractor beam and, you know, this transport, it's still a pre-show, but it is moving. Like you feel like you are taking off and that you are trying to escape Batu. And then you kind of feel that you're getting tractor beamed in. And then all of a sudden your transport is caught and the doors open again. And then this like, I mean, I feel like I knew what was going to happen, but still I gasped when uh, who comes in through the door. So a first order officer comes in the door and announces that your ship has been captured by the first order and you look sort of walk through the door that he has come through and that I mean that's when my jaw dropped and my you know I gasped and all of that I mean 
you're in this giant room full of stormtroopers, some of whom move um, their little audio animatronic tricks, and it's just this giant room. There's a TIE fighter in there. You can kind it's of see into bay, outer space. Leslie. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's a hangar bay. Yeah, see, come on. yeah. <laughs> you see, you see, like out into outer space. There's like a giant screen where you can see sort of out, and that's when you're sort of heading towards. I guess what you would call the traditional queue of the ride itself. So you go down a small corridor and this is where we always tell people go left because for whatever reason, people go right and the line on the left is shorter. Most of the time, not always, people are starting to learn the tricks and you queue up for the next phase of the ride staffed by additional first order officers who are there to sort of boss you around and tell you where to stand because you're being captured and put into prison. Yeah, this part is great because... They're giving you a hard time, like being on your phone. They'll interact with your kids, ask you about, you know, resistance spies and blah, blah, blah. So really great interactions. It was amazing when you first did it. I would say that the cast members are still as good at playing their roles as first order officers. I think what has kind of changed the experience a little bit is now people have done the ride a few times. So they start, I wouldn't say they're quite like being jerks to the first order officers, but they're a little more tongue in cheek. You know, when you're in the haunted mansion queue, people like will scream or like repeat what the pre-show is going to say. So it's kind of those interactions, you know, when you've done it, you kind of know how to get under the skin of those first order officers. But yeah, so they shuttle you into a line. And at this point they put you on a color, which is the color you need to remember as you get on your vehicles for the actual ride eventually and then they throw you into an interrogation room where general hux and kylo ren they interrogate you looking for the location of the rebel spy base and this is very well done this is probably the part that could be the scariest for little kids because it's pretty intense they do some sound and visual effects to make it seem like kylo ren is trying to like look into your brain they get called away to the bridge and so this is the end of the last pre-show How does the last pre-show end, Leslie? The last pre-show ends. You start to hear some voices sort of on the side of the interrogation room. And then suddenly there's kind of like a light and someone is cutting into the metal of the interrogation room to break you out. And the door, a door opens. It's the resistance there to help you escape. And they escort you into the next room. And that's where you're going to find the ride vehicles. This, I guess, I guess this is really where the ride part starts. We're like, I don't remember how many pre-show rooms that you've now been through. So you hop onto the vehicle based upon the color you were standing on. And this took me a long time to figure out. I kept going in the wrong row of the vehicle. So this is a cause of a lot of confusion. People, you know, try to snag the first row and realize they're assigned to the second row. But if you're lucky enough to get assigned to the first row, you're sitting behind a droid who's integrated into your ride vehicle. The vehicles seat eight people, four people in the first row, four people in the second row. And then there's two vehicles inside this this loading room based upon the group that was in your interrogation room. Yeah, so at this point, the ride begins. You are using these transports to try to get to escape pods to escape the Star Destroyer. And so you start, you get like spotted by a probe droid and then at that point, everything goes nuts. People are like trying to capture you. Stormtroopers are shooting at you and things like that. You end up in this room where they're storing AT-ATs, um, which you, if you know, are like the gigantic transportation weapon machine tank things that are on legs that you remember from Empire Strikes Back. If you see them, you would know what they are. At that point, you know, those things start shooting at you. And so it's just crazy. Like, you really feel like you're trying to escape this Star Destroyer. And then at a certain point, you end up like underneath a bridge. And so you are on the bridge seeing 
Kylo Ren and General Hux like chatting and all of a sudden of course the resistance comes to save the day and you see them all coming out of light speed and they start attacking the Star Destroyer that you're on so at that point if it wasn't crazy enough now explosions are starting to happen that aren't people just shooting you but it's because the resistance ships are shooting the Star Destroyer that you're on and so you go through this really cool room where the Star Destroyer's guns are firing and you have to time getting your transport through the guns without like getting hit by them it's a little bit of a frogger situation if you play that game in the 80s you know Kylo Ren starts coming at you at a certain point I don't want to talk about every single little detail but I think you get the point it's just very intense throughout and finally you get to your escape pods and you get dropped down and there's a little drop there at the end um, and then you make it safely back onto Batu. never quite understood why you were trying to escape Batu in the first place but you end up on Batu at the end but I'm willing to overlook that because the ride and attraction including all the pre-shows is so intense and exciting that who cares where you end up in the end the whole thing including all the pre-shows is about 18 minutes long and I really do feel like it's all part of that attraction. Yeah, I totally agree. And one thing I don't think we mentioned is the vehicles are trackless vehicles. I mean, they're running on sort of the high-powered magnets, the same stuff that powers Remy's Ratatouille Adventure and the Mystic Manor in Hong Kong Disneyland. And, and then the different vehicles take different paths slightly. You kind of meet up with the pair that you started with at the beginning, but there's slightly different tracks that you follow depending upon which vehicle that you're in. So if you ride it multiple times, you might sort of see it from a slightly different perspective. Oh yeah, and Finn's there at some point. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's it's amazing. So let's move on to who is this attraction for? You know, Leslie, who do you think would enjoy this attraction or who would enjoy this attraction the most? Anybody who's a Star Wars super fan. I mean, this is as close as you can get without paying $6,000 to go on Star Cruiser to sort of living a Star Wars story. I mean, it really does feel like, you know, you're immersed in it. So for sure, it's for those people. Honestly, as long as you don't have a super, super, super sensitive child, And I say that because I have a sensitive child. As long as your child is tall enough, it's really for everybody. My son did it as soon as he was big enough. And, you know, he kind of grumbled that it was a little bit scary, but he was fine in the grand scheme of things. So I sort of use him as the barometer for how scared kids will will get um, because he's definitely on the more sensitive end of things. But it's just an amazing attraction. So anybody who has any interest in Star Tours, I mean, you, you don't have to be a thrill ride junkie because the thrills are pretty mild and there is that one drop, but it's so short. I mean, it is kind of, you do sort of lose your stomach for a split second, but it's not major. It's not, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, Mission Breakout, or Tower of Terror. I kind of recommend it to everybody. Anybody who can get on it <laughs> without standing in line for two hours, that is. Yeah. I mean, my six-year-old who hated Flight of Passage loved this attraction and did it multiple times. So that's kind of all you need to know. So let's talk about how to best minimize your wait times in line. And I guess the thing that we did not talk about, which is really the most important thing, you know, I was just talking to my coworker who's going to Disney World this weekend. And I told her that the worst thing about Rise of the Resistance is that it's so unreliable. It breaks down all the time. And so because of that, I highly recommend you buy an individual lightning lane for Rise of the Resistance. Not because I don't think it's worth waiting two hours in line for, but because it's not worth waiting two hours in line for to get to the front of the line and then for the ride to break down. I mean, there are estimates that this ride is broken down 30-40% of the time during any given day. So because of that, I think it's right now... Individual Lightning Lane is still $15. I think that you got to do it. And the best time to do it is if you're on site at 7 a.m. or maybe at the 717 drop. You can check out our old Lightning Lane episodes uh, if you don't know what the 717 drop is. And also it might refresh randomly through the day. But you really need to be fast about 
getting this Genie Plus Lightning Lane early in the morning. And if you're staying offsite, check as soon as Hollywood Studios opens. Maybe you'll be able to get a late afternoon or nighttime slot if it's not during a really crowded period. But I really feel like you got to get this Lightning Lane just to save, save yourself the stress of waiting in line and not even knowing if the attraction will go down or not. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the the irony of having to pay more because Disney has created an inefficient, <laughs> unreliable ride. But there you go. I mean, it's your vacation. So I, I would definitely pay for this, especially if you haven't ridden it before. If this is sort of a one and done chance for you, drop the $15 and I fully believe it'll be it'll be 20 soon enough. So we'll see. Yeah, because most attractions you would say for standby line strategies, oh, just rope drop the attraction. And with early theme park entry, if you're on site, you'll be good but because rise of the resistance is so unreliable sometimes they don't even open during early theme park entry and sometimes they don't even open during normal theme park entry like sometimes they're closed for the first hour of the day so imagine trying to rope drop that waiting for an hour yes you're at the front of the line when you go on but there were all these other attractions that you could have rope dropped and done you know you could have done two three attractions during the time you were stuck in that rise of the resistance line so yeah just because of the unreliability you really want to consider paying lightning lane for this one there is rider switch like we said with flight of passage if one person is willing to wait in line then you can rider switch for the other person if you have a child who is too short or doesn't want to go on the ride so that's an option but other than that really you want to spend your energy figure out how best to get that lightning lane which again we'll say get it at seven o'clock or check again at seven seventeen and thirty seconds ish to try to get it and just use your save credit card don't use a gift card do not pass go it will give you a later time than what you get if you are too slow so just get it as quickly as you can all right joe well let's give this our uh, attraction rating and i mean i think there's no question this is the top level <laughs> this is the s tier attraction based upon the system that that we are using for this ride guide series which i'll, I'll let you explain um <laughs> yes s is the best that's all you need to know you can check out uh our original ride guide episode 220 to hear a little bit more but yes this is an s tier attraction hands down if you were like splitting hairs or the only reason why you would downgrade this attraction is because of its unreliability but if you get on it and everything's firing on all cylinders it is an s-tier attraction and in fact if you don't know better it's an s-tier attraction as long as it's working my wife her first time she went on it the cannons were actually not firing i explained before how you go through the sections a little bit of a frogger situation where you're like cutting through these cannons that are firing they weren't moving when she did it and she didn't even know and she still her mind was blown when she came off of it so s-tier for sure all right, let's move on to the second attraction, the minor attraction at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, Smuggler's Run. Why don't you get us kicked off talking about that, Leslie? All right, so Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, it opened in Disney World in August 2019 with the land itself, with Galaxy's Edge. And this was a few months behind Disneyland. As we mentioned, Disneyland opened its land first in May 2019. So, you know, a lot of folks had had a a preview of it from what had happened at Disneyland. And the height requirement is even less than Rise of the Resistance. It's a 38-inch height requirement. So really... Everybody other than babies and toddlers can fit on it. And the the premise, the backstory of it is that you are piloting the Millennium Falcon and you have been able to board it and, and get aboard because the Falcon is now owned or at least controlled by Hondo Anaka, who's a smuggler based in Black Spire Outpost. And he is sending you on a smuggling mission for him. And your, your assignment is to collect different things, a coaxium, which I don't know what it is, but you're collecting 
uh, coaxium <laughs> along the way. And Hondo Anaka is sort of your your boss, and and you're a a, a rogue, a smuggler, a scoundrel, just like they're so beloved in all of the Star Wars stories. So why don't you start us, Joe, with uh, the Q? I mean, the, the backdrop of this is an actual model of the Millennium Falcon. So, I mean, this is the big centerpiece of the entire Galaxy's Edge, right? Yeah, I love this Q much more than the Rise of the Resistance Q. You, you enter kind of towards the side of the Millennium Falcon, and then you work your way through kind of a garage area there are some other vehicles in there it feels very actually star tours but like an updated version of star tours for the queue and what you see there there's you know there's sounds and there's like things that are happening in the garage or whatever but that's pretty cool but my favorite part is you end up on this landing above the millennium falcon where you can look down on it um, and it's just really cool it's really fun to be around the actual or what feels like the actual Millennium Falcon. And there are some also fun things you can play on your Star Wars data pad through the Disney Parks app um, to kill time along the way, which are Millennium Falcon related. But yeah, I really love this queue. You know, I think if the queue is less than 30 minutes, it's definitely worth going through if you've never been through it just to get a closer look at the Millennium Falcon from different angles. So yeah, two thumbs up for the queue here. Yeah, totally agree. It's great to see I mean, what Disney has built, <laughs> they really did build a Falcon. So you can you can take a look at it from lots of different angles, and that's that's super cool. After you sort of work your way through these, you know, rooms of engine parts and, and whatnot, then you're going to be entering a pre-show room. And the pre-show room is where you meet Hondo Anaka, your boss for the mission. And he is a life-size audio am- animatronic and is really, really well done in terms of his movement being realistic and, you know, him showing you what's going to happen on sort of a a set of screens. He's kind of above you in a holding room and there are a lot of people kind of crammed into this this pre-show room. And so you get your the details of your mission and then the doors open behind Hondo Anaka and you walk into sort of a narrow hallway. Some of this is a little bit variable depending upon sort of the cast members in the day and, and the month or whatever. But at that point, you're heading into the Falcon itself and you're going into sort of the lounge area. And this is sort of the, the scene that so many people remember from the movies where there is the table where the characters play holographic chess, uh, Dejaric, I think, is the the official Star Wars terminology. Wow, Leslie. <laughs> I, I looked that up because I was ready for you not to know, but very impressed. Very well done. Very well done. <laughs> I did go to the media preview of this one, so I did learn a little bit more about the uh, minutia. So, hey, um... <laughs> as we said, I went to a media preview and I didn't even know Flight of Passage stood for Rite of Passage. So who knows what they tell you at those previews. <laughs> Exactly. Is it accurate? So at this point, I mean, this is when a lot of people, they want to sit down and they want to take pictures and they want to look at all the nooks and crannies. And there's not a lot of time because usually fairly quickly, within a minute or two, the cast members are calling you to queue up for heading into the cockpit of the Falcon. And at some point sort of in this room, before this room or right at the end of this room, the cast members assign you your roles. They used to give you cards, but that doesn't seem to have come back post-COVID. Instead, they sort of tell you, you are going to be in one of three roles. You're going to be a pilot, you're going to be a gunner, or you're going to be an engineer. And there's uh, two of each. So you're getting your, your assignments from the cast members, you're queuing up, and then... There's a couple of different entry points from off of this room where you're queuing up and then you head into the cockpit 
of the Falcon. And, and the reality is, you know, there, there are many cockpits of many Falcons because of all of these different cue points, right? Yeah, so it's six riders per cockpit, and it does really look like from the movies. Again, they did an amazing job here. This is a very high capacity ride. There's like 1,500 to 1,800 per hour. I think they're running like seven pods at once. I think people have figured that all out. Now, as you go in, the pilots sit in the front and the gunners sit in the middle row. I mean, all the seats are kind of on their own, but I'm just saying row loosely. And then the engineers sit in the back. And this is a motion simulator, a screen-based attraction. Um, So it is feels like the next evolution of Star Tours, um, especially because it is Star Wars related. Uh, The right pilot controls going up and down. The left pilot controls going left and right. The gunners, they just press buttons to shoot things. And at certain points, they need to shoot harpoons. And the engineers, best job. You just... Oh, actually, the engineer is the one who shoots the harpoons. I think the gunners shoot missiles or something like that. I can't remember. It's just all random button pressing. But uh, it is a lot of fun because you're kind of involved. People generally like to be the pilot. I like to be the engineer because I just get to hang out in the back and enjoy the ride and push random buttons. But the four and a half minute ride, what you're going to do is you're going to start by leaving Black Spire Outpost and you're going on this mission to steal cargo from the First Order, this coaxium, which if I recall is what is used. Uh, It's the fuel that you need to go into light speed, but don't quote me on that. And there are different paths that you can possibly take or different things that will happen on the screen, depending on how well the pilots perform. Like whenever you run into stuff, Hondo is going to be like, hey, be careful there. And you're going to be given different directions at different times. Like the gunner is going to be told, oh, shoot at that thing. And the engineers are going to be told, shoot that harpoon at the coaxium. And so it is almost like playing a video game. It's like a simulator video game and you get a score at the end and you can, you know, there are up to two coaxium that you can get. um, And you also get scored for like how much stuff you hit and how damaged the Falcon gets. So it's a lot of fun. There are two main sections, basically one per coaxium that you're trying to get with a lot of drops and falls. It is as simulator-y as a simulator ride can get. Very well-themed, and again, you really feel like you are part of the Star Wars action. After saying how this attraction is, and it can be a little bit intense, you know, who do you think that this attraction is for, Leslie? So I think this is really okay for anybody who likes mild thrills. You know, like you said, the comparison to Star Tours is pretty apt. So if you're comfortable riding Star Tours, I think you'll be comfortable riding this. The only thing you have to watch out for being a screen-based attraction, I mean, the people who get certain types of motion sickness may feel a little off on this ride. And um, the other thing I should mention, I mean, there are some jerks as the ship is being hit. So you have to watch about that. Obviously, people with certain physical limitations, um, pregnant, you know, if you have major back pain, maybe I wouldn't do it. But the other thing that I think folks should be aware of is if you're in the engineer or the gunner seats, the buttons are off to the side. So you have to kind of turn to hit the buttons that takes your attention off of the screen and kind of kind of can hurt your back a little bit if you're if you kind of are being hit at that moment. So, you know, if you're somebody who sort of is a little bit physically unsure, then maybe you want to be a pilot so you can be looking straight forward. But of course, there's no guarantee of that. But maybe you just ignore your buttons and look out the front and don't turn so often because I definitely have felt a little bit uncomfortable if I'm really into the gunner or the engineer role and trying to hit every button with complete accuracy. I, I feel like I'm twisting myself. Yeah, I get motion sick pretty easily and so even though engineer is my favorite role i know that if i'm focused too much on the buttons you know i'll feel a little bit sicker than i normally would 
that's just something to bear in mind. But it's still a really fun attraction. It is a bumpy ride, though. So the normal motion sickness rules apply. If you look kind of further in the distance on the screen, you'll be okay. And that's why if you're in those gunner or engineer seats, looking to the side can sometimes throw you off because your head is looking in the wrong direction from where the motion is. All right, so let's talk about how to minimize your wait time for this attraction. This is probably the second most popular Genie Plus attraction in Hollywood Studios behind Slinky Dog Dash. Maybe it's tied with Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. If you get Slinky Dog Dash first at 7 a.m., you really want to get Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run in your second slot. If you don't, you probably will be able to get it, but you're probably not going to get it until like 4, 5, 6 p.m. much later. So definitely should be one of your first two or three Genie Plus Lightning Lanes if you have Genie Plus. If you don't have Genie Plus, the good news is, unlike Rise of the Resistance, there are some much more solid standby line strategies that you can use. Right, Leslie? So yeah, there really are some good standby strategies. I mean, rope dropping Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run is actually pretty easy because so many people are headed for Flinky Dog Dash and for Rise of the Resistance that it sort of gets short shrift at rope drop. So, you know, like we said, pay for individual lightning lane for Rise of the Resistance. Try to get Flinky Dog as your first Genie Plus. And then, you know, I might rope drop uh, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. And it's not a super, super long attraction in the grand scheme of things, especially if you sort of get straight into a cockpit. So you probably have time to do something else um, during that 30 minute of of early entry if if you're early enough. And it's also another ride that you can do more easily at the end of the night. You know, Hollywood Studios does tend to clear out later in the day because folks either either they knock out all their, you know, their couple of top attractions or they get sick of waiting (laughs) and the Genie Plus return time is not being there and they leave. So anyway, you can definitely do that at the end of the night. And then also it has single rider. You'll miss the the pre-show and you'll miss the line and the queue and the views of the Millennium Falcon. But if you have ridden the attraction before, single rider is actually pretty great and can often be like maybe only 15, 20 minutes or so. Yeah, definitely. So a lot of ways to get on this attraction. And like we said, it runs through so many people that makes it a lot better as well. Let's uh, finish this episode up with our attraction review and our tier for Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. What are your thoughts on Smuggler's Run overall and what's your tier for it? I had a hard time with this one. I'm, I'm teetering between an A and a B. I think I'm ultimately going with a B. And the only reason is because I do think four of the six seats are vastly inferior to the two pilot seats. So I think that's one thing that's the problem with the attraction. I mean, it's a fun ride. The views of the Falcon are amazing. The Hondo Anaka audio animatronic is amazing, but the ride itself could have been better. And I understand they were trying to be a little bit true to the design of the cockpit, but four of the six seats just, you feel like you're not getting the full experience. What do you think, Joe? I surprised myself when I was thinking about it. And just, I think the overall experience makes this an A-tier attraction for me, which is surprising to me because I always say that Smuggler's Run, like in my head, I'm like, oh, it's not that important. I don't need to prioritize it that much, which is kind of true. And compared to Rise of the Resistance, it's not the same, but it's it's just a very solid attraction. And especially if you're a Star Wars fan, you're just going to really enjoy going through the queue and getting into the cockpit. And of course, like I said, I don't mind being in the back seats, so that doesn't really bother me at all. And the final thing that we didn't say is Smuggler's Run, probably one of the most fun attractions at Disney World to do as a group, hopefully a group of six. When you are doing that with your friends or with your family, that's when it can be a lot of fun because you are piloting the ship together and you can uh, give each other as much guff as necessary for people who aren't doing their jobs. 
Yeah, that is totally fair. When you get into a cockpit full of people that you know and they're ready for a raucous good time and to make fun of the pilot for crashing, then it's really a romp. So yeah, I've only gotten to do that a few times. Other times, you know, I've ridden it either by, you know, I'm on a solo trip and I'm by myself and inevitably I give, <laughs> if I get assigned the pilot card, I give it to a kid and then I'm like, ah, here I am in the engineer seat again. <laughs> so, so that's a little bit of a different situation. So under the right circumstances, this could be definitely more like an A tier, like you say. Yeah. Disney don't yell at the kids who are piloting if they're not your kids. If they're doing a bad job. <laughs> if they're your kids, feel free to embarrass them. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. Yes. That's Disney. Do embarrass your kids. Of course. Okay. All right, Joe. Well, let's close this out with our traditional Disney do or don't. What do you have? Yes. For our actual Disney do or don't. I think this is a very strong Disney don't. I would say, and I know people disagree with this, but don't rope drop Rise of the Resistance. I feel like the cost-benefit ratio, like, yes, it could work out amazingly, but the cost-benefit ratio is just not good enough to commit that much potential time in the morning without even knowing if it's open. If at some point they fix the operational issues, that might change. But as of right now, as we're recording this, don't rope drop Rise of the Resistance. I think more often than not, you'll just end up having stress because of it. Totally agree. All right, so we'd love to hear your thoughts on what tier you feel like the attractions at Galaxy's Edge should be in. Let us know, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at www.deciphered on Twitter, or on Facebook and Instagram, DisneyDeciphered. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Other than that, Leslie, thank you for taking the time to talk to me, and I will see you yelling at your kids from the gunner seat. Thanks, Joe. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.